0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church. And uh, this is our fifth week in uh, this series on the book of Proverbs called Wisdom for Life. And so today, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, you turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Uh, So far in this uh, teaching series, we've seen that Jesus is Uh, the wisdom of God, and that because he is, when we're walking with Jesus, we are walking in wisdom. Uh, We have talked about, uh, so far in this series, what it looks like to walk wisely in the way that we speak, uh, what it looks like to walk wisely in how we work. Uh, Last week, we talked about God's wisdom for friendships, uh, how important friendships are, and uh, how much they really do affect us and our spiritual walk and journey. Next week we're going to wrap up this series by talking about the wisdom of discernment. uh, The wisdom to know what to do in different uh, situations that we encounter in our everyday life. But today we're going to survey what Proverbs has to say about several areas of life. Uh, We're going to look at seven uh, topics all together. And since each one of these seven topics really could be a a whole sermon in its own uh, right, uh, we're going to have to move uh, pretty quickly today, but I would just ask you to hang with me today, and and I promise you there'll be something in this message uh, for each and every one of us. Uh, The seven topics we're uh, talking about today are what I'm calling seven follies. Seven follies. There's really a a lot of overlap between these seven follies and another list you might have seen called the seven deadly sins. However, the list that I'll share with you today is not entirely uh, identical to that list. But what we're going to see today is that according to King Solomon and according to the book of Proverbs, if we really want to walk wisely in this life, then we're going to need to run away from these seven follies. These seven follies are seven traps, and they are well-worn paths that many people have taken that will lead us if we take them away from the good path of God's wisdom that he created us for, that he saved us for to walk down. And so I believe today that all of us will realize at some point along our journey this morning that we have all taken at least one or more than one of these paths at some point in our lives. But let's get started. Here's the first folly uh, that we have to run from if we're going to walk in wisdom in life. We have to run from the folly of pride. You know, many theologians believe that pride is really the root sin that is underneath every other sin uh, that we commit. Uh, When you think about it, it was pride that caused Lucifer himself to not be content with the station that God had assigned to him, but instead desired the very throne of God itself. It was pride that uh, Satan uh, preyed upon, Eve's pride. And he appealed to her pride when he said to her in the garden, if you just eat the fruit of this tree, you will be like God. And really, whenever we sin in any way at its root... There is a prideful defiance of God and a prideful defiance of what his word commands of us. It's us really shaking our fist at God and saying, God, I'm gonna do it my way and not your way. Maybe that's why we read in Proverbs 6 these words, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, and the list goes on from there. But notice what the very first item is on the list that God hates, a proud look. God hates pride. Probably the most well-known proverb about pride is this one, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, we've kind of shortened that in modern-day parlance to the expression that we've all probably used and I'm sure heard, pride goes before a fall. Now, normally, though, at least when I hear that, in most cases, it's really about sports. You know, you'll hear somebody who's just super cocky, really confident that they're going to win, that their team's going to win, and somebody will say to them, you know, well, be careful because pride comes before a fall. And what sometimes I think we don't think about it is that this proverb isn't only, and it's not even really mainly about sports. This is a proverb about life. And what God is telling us here is that if we walk through life with a prideful, arrogant, you know, I've got this life down kind of an attitude that we are setting ourselves up for a big, big fall. And not only in this life, but most importantly on the day of judgment as well. Because if we cannot humble ourselves and admit our need for God, if we can't humble ourselves and admit our need for a Savior, well, then by definition, we'll never come to that Savior. And we'll never humble ourselves and trust in Jesus, and therefore we will never be saved. In Proverbs 11, Solomon says this When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. In other words, walking in pride is a pathway to shame and ultimately to our own destruction, but walking in humility is walking in wisdom because ultimately it's walking with Jesus. Now, you may not consider yourself a prideful person. I believe pride is something, though, that we all struggle with. And, you know, pride can show up in our lives in an awful lot of ways. It can show up Uh, When we insist upon our own way instead of thinking about others, what they would prefer and need. Pride shows up just in the fact that we think about ourselves an awful lot instead of thinking about the Lord and thinking about other people. Pride shows up when we get super angry when something or someone uh, upsets our plans for our day. Pride is, is evident when we can't handle it, when other people criticize us or say anything negative about us. We just can't receive that. And pride shows up and we're too proud to ever admit that we are wrong. Pride, pride shows up even in little ways, ways we might not think about. It shows up when we're always late for things because deep down somewhere we feel like our time is more important than other people's time. Pride shows up in a lot of ways, and we need to bring our heart before the Lord. Ask Him to show us where that root of pride may be growing. We need to ask Him to give us the mind of, of Christ. The Christ who left the glories of heaven and took on flesh. The Christ who humbled Himself even to the point of death, even death on the cross. For us. You know, before we move on, there's one more way pride shows up, and it's when somebody always thinks that they're right because they just feel like no matter what room they walk into, they're automatically the smartest person in every room. Here's what Solomon says about that Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Wise in his own eyes. Well, that's the sin of pride for sure, but it also really relates to the second folly that we need to run from, especially when we are young, and it is this one, the folly of being disrespectful and unteachable. Remember that Proverbs was uh, mainly written by King Solomon and was addressed to his own son, his royal son, Rehoboam, and Solomon had a lot to say to his son and to all of us, about respecting people who are in authority over us and always being teachable rather than thinking that we already have it all figured out. And that idea shows up over and over in Proverbs, even in the very first chapter. In Proverbs chapter 1, remember that uh, he speaks about wisdom and personifies wisdom as a woman, lady wisdom who is shouting out from the courtyard and the center of town and inviting us to come and sit down at her feet and learn from her. And, and yet Lady Wisdom says a lot about the subject of being teachable. This is what it says, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates of the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Because I have called and you have refused. I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity and I will mock when your terror comes. Remember that God's wisdom is accessible. God's wisdom is available to us. But if we reject it, if we refuse to receive it, then we will end up experiencing the consequences both in this life and in the age to come because of our living foolishly. That's why Solomon says we need to listen and be teachable, and that starts when we are young. And that starts when we are children and teenagers, and being teachable begins with being able to be taught by our parents and by our grandparents that God has given to us. Solomon says this, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And one of the reasons why this matters so much is that the young man and the young woman who is not teachable in their home growing up and who never learns to respect the authority of their parents grows up to become the young man or woman who does not respect their teachers in high school or in college, who does not respect the authority of their boss at work one day. Uh, who does not respect the authority even of law enforcement, and ultimately who does not submit to the authority of God himself. And They won't listen to anybody's instruction or anybody's correction because, again, they think they have it all figured out. You know, I, I remember a time in, in my life when I was growing up, I was about 16 or 17 years old, and Uh, wanted to spread my wings a bit. And, you know, I had to actually go back and apologize to to my mom and to my dad because there there were about a two to three year period of my life where I was just living like a punk, right? I just felt like I knew so much and, you know, my parents didn't know anything and I knew better than they knew. And and then you realize later on how wrong you are about that. Uh, I came across this quote and it's of unknown origin and many people attribute it to Mark Twain. But he said this, he said, when I was a boy of 14, My father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. (laughs) Of course, his father hadn't learned a whole lot in seven years, but Mark Twain had. And hopefully, so will we. Hopefully, we'll learn to be respectful, to be teachable, to realize that we all still have an awful lot to learn in life proverbs 13:10 says by insolence comes nothing but strife but with those who take advice is wisdom. You know, insolence, that, that word means to be rude and to be disrespectful. And it's, it's an all too common attitude, particularly among the young in our society. I know sometimes I'm out in public and maybe in a store in a checkout line, and, and I see and hear sometimes the way that, that, that children or teenagers will speak to their own parents. And, and I think to myself, and if I ever said that to one of my parents growing up, it would literally be the last thing I would have ever done on the planet. I've never seen a friend again for seven years after that. But it's insolence. It's disrespect to the parents who brought you into this world and have cared for you from the time you were born. And you know, there might be some children and some teenagers, maybe some college students and young adults who really need to go home today and ask forgiveness from your parents for the things that you have said to them, for the way that you have treated them, for the disrespect that you have shown them. Because you've seen today in the word of God how foolish that really is. And, and, you know, it's also why as parents, you know, we we really shouldn't excuse uh, when our children act in these ways. You know, we really shouldn't say, oh, well, you know, he's just strong-willed or, Oh, well, you know, she's always just had a a free spirit. (laughs) The the Bible says it's not that he's strong-willed and it's not that she has a free spirit. It's that they're fools. And, And if they don't learn to be teachable, and if they don't learn to listen to their parents, and ultimately to listen to God, then here is the result. Proverbs 19, cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Proverbs 29, he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Let's not fall into this deadly folly of being disrespectful and being unteachable. And church, let's not fall into this folly either. Number three, the folly of adultery. Solomon knows that one of the main dangers that his son is going to face in this world was the temptation to sexual sin and he talks an awful lot about that in the book of proverbs he warns his son against it but before he does that he holds up in chapter 5 the, the beauty and, and the intimacy uh, that is within its proper boundaries within the covenant of the marriage relationship that god has established Since I want this message to be like Z88.3, safe for the little ears, uh, we're not going to discuss this or expound upon this, but here's the description that Solomon gives. He says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. And then in chapters 5, 6, and 7, Solomon warns his son that there would be other women who would come along outside of that marriage relationship that would appeal to him and and that would seek to lead him astray. And I think the most powerful of these descriptions descriptions is in Proverbs 7 where Solomon describes the scene almost like he's looking out his window and he's watching this young man as he goes down this road of adultery and he doesn't even realize that it will lead him to his own slaughter. Now this is a long quotation, but it's worth reading in full. Solomon says this, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman from the seductress who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him, and he will come back on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. And with her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. And then right after that, Solomon drives the point home in such a powerful way in the next few verses. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Listen, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Now, you might hear all of that and, and, and say, well, yes, that's a powerful warning, but, you know, I haven't done that. I've never committed adultery, and I would never do such a thing. And that's where we need to remember what the Lord Jesus taught us about adultery and how he said that really it begins in the heart and it begins with our eyes. Jesus said, when we even look at a woman to lust for her, we're committing adultery with her in our hearts. And that's why I would say to you that the adulterous woman that Solomon warned us about so long ago it is not just lurking in the alleyways of sleazy city streets anymore. Today, she is much, much more prevalent. She is lurking on our TV screens, she is lurking on our movie screens, she's lurking on our computer screens, she's lurking on the iPhones that we carry in our pockets. And she is coming for our young men. And increasingly, this issue of pornography is not just one that is attacking and affecting young men, it is attacking and affecting young women as well. And I pray that, that in our lives, in our homes, and in our families, we would run from this folly just like Joseph ran when he was in Potiphar's house. But also, church, that we would run towards something, that we would run towards the purity of heart and life that God really wants for his children. I love how Paul put it in 2 Timothy 2.22. You can remember that verse, 2.222. 2, 2, 2. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Here's folly number four, which is perhaps more prevalent in our American society than any of the other follies that we will see and talk about today, the folly of greed. Over and over in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says that getting more wisdom is much better than getting more money. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Now that's true, of course, but I'm afraid our culture has largely rejected Solomon's a council in this area. Our culture is not saying show me the wisdom. Our culture is saying show me the money. But Solomon warns us about being greedy for more and more money. Proverbs 15, he who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. How many houses? How many families in America today, both outside of the church and inside of the church, are hurting and struggling basically when you boil it down to greed. Now you might be thinking, well you know greed is really just a problem that rich people have. They have a lot of money, they want to have even more money. That's not actually true. You can be dirt poor and still in your heart be a greedy person who is always thinking about money, always thinking about getting some money or more money, or you might have a comfortable, what we might call middle-class lifestyle, and yet you feel like, you know, if if we could just have a little bit more, you know, well, then we'd be able to be comfortable. And so anywhere that you are on that socioeconomic scale, you can still struggle in this area of greed. And and we know that that's where a lot of families are because statistics tell us that over 50% of families in America today live on more than they are making. That the average person has $3,500 in credit card debt, which is up 285% from back in 1980. Our standard of living collectively is higher than it was in 1980, and yet we still feel like we need more, and we're more indebted as a society than the generations that came before us. And this is a trap because the Bible says we're supposed to trust in God, not to trust in money or what's in our bank accounts or in our possessions. Solomon says, do not overwork to be rich because of your understanding, cease or stop. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Has that ever happened to anyone in this room? Riches flew away like an eagle to the sky. And then in Proverbs 11, he puts it this way. He who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous, the one who trusts in God, will flourish like foliage. You know, probably my favorite proverb about money because I just love the heart in this. It's found in Proverbs 30, right towards the end of the book. The sage prays to God, and this is what he says, Two things I request of you. "'Deprive me not before I die. "'Number one, remove falsehood and lies far from me. "'Number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. "'Feed me with the food allotted to me, "'lest I be full and deny you and say, "'Who is the Lord?'' or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, he's saying, Lord, you know, don't give me too little. You give me too little, I might be tempted to steal, and I want to do that. But I love this. But also, Lord, don't give me too much. Don't give me so much that I'm, I'm so full and my bank account is so flushed that, that, that I forget about you. I, I forget that I need you. And sadly, that is precisely where the majority of Americans are today we have been given so much and we are so full that the majority of americans today have forgotten about god we've forgotten about our greatest need which is a need to know our creator through a relationship with his son jesus christ lord help us lord give us a heart of contentment help us to remember and believe this principle that our culture has forgotten proverbs 15:16 better is a little With the fear of the Lord, then great treasure with trouble. Now, we've looked at four follies that we need to run from if we want to walk through life on the path of wisdom. Three more to go. We'll look at them more quickly. Folly number five, the folly of drunkenness. Now, just to kind of put my cards on the table regarding this topic of of alcohol, I, I do not believe that the Bible teaches that all Christians must completely abstain uh, from drinking. I think to say that would be to go beyond what uh, the Bible says. I personally do not drink. The the rest of our elders do not drink. We ask that our deacons abstain from drinking as well. That that isn't because uh, we believe that uh, we don't have the freedom in Christ to partake, but it's because uh, we want to make sure that with the positions of spiritual leadership that God has given us in the church that we would never uh, be a cause of stumbling for anyone else in our church in this particular area. But but again, to, to restate, the Bible does not say that Christians cannot drink, but the Bible does command us not to drink to excess, And the Bible warns us, and it warns us repeatedly about how easy it is to fall into that lifestyle. And the Bible warns us about the negative effects that alcohol can have in our lives. And because of all of those warnings, there are some uh, believers who believe that uh, it may be a wiser position for them to just abstain than to risk the consequences that the Word of God speaks about. Proverbs 20 verse 1, for example, says wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So if you want to be wise, the sage writes, don't be led astray by consuming too much alcohol. Don't fall into that trap. This verse is really an ancient warning about what we would call today alcohol abuse. I love what Warren Wiersbe has said about this verse. He said, quote, alcohol mocks people by creating in them a thirst for more while not satisfying that thirst. The more people drink, the less they enjoy it. The drinker becomes a drunk and then a brawler. And he goes on to cite an old Japanese proverb which describes what can happen all too easily. Quote, first the man takes a drink, then the drink takes a drink. And then the drink takes the man. You know, probably the most chilling description of how alcoholism can wreck someone's life is found in Proverbs 23. Look at this. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? that I may seek another drink." I mean, you just see that list of the effects of drinking too much. Bloodshot eyes, sorrow, uh, depression, uh, getting beaten up, talking like a fool, being delirious where you end up seeing things that aren't even there. Uh, I, I like how one person put it. You know, you would think that, that if you'd experience all of those things, uh, that, that you might say, you know, I'm never going to drink again if this is what is going to happen to me when I do. But no, that's not what the person says. Look at the very end of that quotation. This is what they say. When shall I awake that I can go and get another drink? But that's the thing about addiction. Whether it's alcohol addiction, whether it's drug addiction or addiction of any kind, once you walk down this road of folly far enough, it'll get a hold of you. And it begins to sink its claws into you, and it can be awfully hard to pry those claws away. Friend, if you are here today and and if this is the road that you have been walking on, I I pray that today you will talk with someone. You'll talk with a friend. You'll talk with a family member. You'll talk with one of our pastors. You know, there are men in this church who would tell you, it is their testimony, that at one point in their life they were alcoholics. uh, They were drug addicts. And they still have to keep on their guard in that area of their life. But they would also tell you this, that the Lord has set them free. Because what does the Bible say? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And there is hope and there is life. You know, a lot of times churches are willing to talk about alcohol and talk about drunkenness, but they aren't willing to talk about this next folly, number six, the folly of of gluttony. And you know, one of the reasons why uh, many times churches don't talk about this and why you probably have never heard a sermon about gluttony in your life is because uh, many pastors, such as myself, don't want to preach about it. And if I'm just being honest with you, I would have much rather not included this topic on this list of items to share with you today, and yet I could not in good conscience do that because it is something that Proverbs talks about, it is something that I need to hear it is something that perhaps many of us need to hear. Because, you know, it's not just pastors. I mean, it's Baptist in general, right? And there are two things that people know about Baptists. It's one, we like to argue a lot about theological things. And then two, we like potluck dinners. I mean, that's like the two things people know about us. And when you see, you know, when, when, when you're the owner of a golden corral and you see a Baptist church bus show up in front, you know you're about to lose a lot of money. That's going to be a bad day. And we can joke about that, but listen, the Bible talks about gluttony, and it warns us about it. Actually, it includes it along with drunkenness as something that is foolish, as something that is sinful. Listen to Proverbs 23, 19 to 21. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. And so you read that and you realize, you know, we, we can maybe look down our noses at, at people who struggle with alcohol or struggle with addiction and, and yet forget the fact that gluttony is included right here in the same sentence as a foolish path that we can walk down. Now, of course, we need to be careful when we talk about this subject because. We don't need to think that everybody who is uh, at all overweight is automatically a glutton. We know that medically, there are a lot of reasons why someone may be overweight that may not have to do with overeating. Furthermore, you could be as skinny as a rail and still be a glutton, and God has just blessed you with the metabolism of a racehorse. (laughs) But you know, and the rest of us, you know, hate you for that, right? But, But you know... That, that on the inside, you think about food all the time. It is what consumes you. It is what drives you. And so this is not something where we just need to sit around and judge one another in this area. But this is something where we need to bring our heart before the Lord and ask him if this is an issue in our lives. You know, there's no question that collectively as a society, uh, we are quite literally eating ourselves into an early grave. Statistics bear that out. My friend John Aiken pointed out that in 1957, a fast food hamburger averaged six ounces and 618 calories. Today, 60 some odd years later, if you get the supersized quarter pounder meal from McDonald's, you will consume 1,550 calories in one sitting. In the 1950s, if you got popcorn at the movie theater, it was about three cups of popcorn. Today, it's 16 cups of popcorn. And in general, the result of this increase in our consumption is that we are today collectively at a much higher risk of heart disease and diabetes. Doctors would say we have a, quote, caloric imbalance, which is a nice way of saying that we're eating too much. Solomon warned us about this same thing 3,000 years ago. This is what he said in Proverbs 25. Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Now that applies to a lot of areas of our life, but it also applies literally to what he's talking about, the eating of food. How do you know when it is too much? You know, that's hard to define because what one person needs may be more or less than what another person needs based on many factors. But I agree with John Piper's definition of gluttony. He says this, that gluttony is a craving for food or drink that masters you. You know, that term, masters you, it reminds me of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, I have the right to do anything you say, But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but I will not be mastered by anything. Whenever we find that food or anything else is mastering us, is controlling us, it's guiding our decisions, guiding our affections, even our emotions, that's when we know that we have a problem. If I'm honest, I'm afraid that's me a lot of times. My wife, Megan, always tells me that whenever I am trying to lose a few pounds, I always get a lot more grumpy. I get grumpier. And I have to admit, that's the case. And yet, why is that the case? And could it be that it really reveals that food and my love for it has too much of a control over my heart? You know, if you struggle with this like I do, friend, this isn't just a physical issue. This is a gospel issue, and it is a worship issue. And we need to let God work in our hearts and work in our minds in this area so that we can follow the command of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So far, we've looked at six different follies that we need to run from, the folly of gluttony and drunkenness, of greed, of adultery, of being unteachable, of being prideful. Here's the seventh folly, and it's one that shows up a lot in the book of Proverbs. It's the folly of anger. Now, we know that biblically speaking, not all anger is sinful and wrong. The Lord Jesus himself was angry that day in the temple courts. And there are times where we can also have a righteous anger because maybe we're angry about uh, some, something that's hurting someone else, or we're angry about something that is offending uh, the righteousness of God. And, and yet I would also say this, that, that more often than not, when we are angry, it is not a righteous anger. It is a sinful anger. And it leads us to other sinful, foolish actions that can destroy our witness, that can destroy our relationships, that can destroy our family, and that ultimately can destroy our lives. And that's why in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're told to be slow To anger. Proverbs puts it like this Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper, what we might call a short fuse, exalts folly or foolishness. The Bible says it's foolish to lose our cool and to blow up on people. It's not a sign of being tough, it's not a sign of being strong. No, it's the sign of being a fool. Proverbs says a fool always loses his temper but a wise person holds it back. If you're just in general an angry person or you can't control your temper, Solomon actually warns people against being friends with you because he tells them that your anger is gonna keep on getting you in trouble. Proverbs 19, a man of great wrath will suffer punishment for if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. In other words, if if you're an angry person and your anger blows up on you and gets you in trouble, even if your friends come around you and they kind of bail you out of that situation, Solomon is saying they're just going to have to keep doing it because next week your anger is going to get you in trouble again. You're going to blow up about something else and it'll happen over and over again. You know, my favorite proverb about anger that has just always stuck with me since the first time I read it is this one. Proverbs 25:28 Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. You know in the ancient world uh, a city without a wall was defenseless. And it was just a wide open target because any invading army could just march right on into it and, and take it over with just a little bit of effort. It's the same way with a person who cannot control his own emotions. You are like a city with no walls, and you are wide open to anything that might happen to you during your day. You are frankly just a hostage to your own circumstances, and so, you know, you might go through a day and maybe it's a day where everything goes perfect, you know, perfect for you. You know, nothing slows you now, nothing gets in your way. You know, your kids act like perfect little angels, like little gifts of sunshine that fell down from heaven. And so if, if your day goes like that, then maybe you're in a good mood, at least for that day. But the next day, somebody gets in your way in traffic, slams on their brakes, something happens to you at work, your kids disobey in even the slightest little way and you blow up like a firecracker because you are held hostage by the circumstances in your life. You have no walls. You have no self-control. And so anything that happens to you, you are always ready. Your fuse is ready to be lit. You have no control over your own spirit and friend. That is not a sign of maturity. It is an evidence of foolishness and a lack of Christ-likeness. In our lives. After all, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 includes things like peace and patience and self control. And friend, if if this is an area of struggle for you, uh, just please know how dangerous this is. Know how you, you can lose everything that you have and every position that you hold and every influence that you exert with one uncontrolled outburst of rage. It's the folly of anger. And and if this is a major issue for you, friend, it it is time to bring that out before the Lord and let him do business in your heart. It's time maybe even to bring that to a brother or, or to a sister to find help in that area before this folly of anger ends up literally being the death of you listen, I know that we have talked about a lot of different things today, and I know, I don't know how any of us could listen to these seven areas and not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in one or more of these areas of our life. And so what I want to do just for the next few minutes, I just want to create some time just for each of us just to pray and to spend some time alone with God, and to ask God to reveal in these next few minutes just, you know, where have I been living foolishly? And, and, and not just even in what we've talked about today, but even as we look back on this whole series to say, God, where have I been foolish? And Lord, I ask your forgiveness of that. And also, Lord, I ask you to give me grace to help me to walk wisely in these areas. And so let's make that our prayer. You'll see it on the screen. Lord, help me to walk in your wisdom. In my speech, we talked about several weeks ago, in, in, in the way that I work, in my friendships and the people that I choose to surround myself with. And then, Lord, help me to walk in wisdom in my character and in these seven areas of character that we talked about today. And just take a moment, pray, ask him to to bring that conviction and that knowledge of of where there is foolishness in your life. Bring it before him and ask him to give grace to walk wisely. Let's take a few minutes and pray and spend time with the Lord.